here. Lord, it's here to stay and that you are enthroned above every nation. Lord, every king, every president, Lord, you sit in full control. God, we sing your praises today. God, we ask that during your word, Lord, that as it is proclaimed to us that we would hear and not just hear, Lord, but also obey what it says to us. God, we thank you, Lord, for your saving grace, and I pray that it would impact our hearts today. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. 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 Uh, Evan, you noticed exactly what I noticed. Uh, there was something unique about that because, man, y'all sounded good. <laughs> Could hear y'all. And I, I tell folk, a lot of times when I go to these places where there's a lot of screaming guitars and lights and fog machines, you know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing supersedes the human voice in praise. I think that's the primary instrument. And when we make other things primary other than the human voice, I think the Lord Himself is a little bit anxious just to hear His people praise Him. So thank you. That was, that was good. Uh, Genesis chapter 15 is where we are. So if you'll find your place with me in God's Word, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 16, uh, we are going to look at the first 18 verses today. Uh, Genesis chapter 15 happens to be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And if you ever wonder why it is my preference to preach through a book of the Bible, this is why. Because if I did not do that and discipline myself to preach through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, uh, then you would get my favorite passages all the time. It's just the natural draw, I think. So uh, preaching through a book keeps me honest. We do have an ordination service next week, so I was hesitant to start something. And it's not just about John Seth, it's about Grace Church. This is, a, this is really something to celebrate. Uh, the fact that, you know, we are ascending church and this is evidence of it as we are sending one of our native sons and uh, giving him our blessing and authority to go and minister to the gospel, uh, minister uh, the gospel the rest of his life. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a historic day for us. But I, I didn't want to start anything new with that ordination service uh, coming next Sunday because I didn't want to start and have to pull out and Here's what I've been planning to do. I've been planning to preach through uh, the little book in the Old Testament called Jonah. Anybody know Jonah? Uh, can you find Jonah? I mean, it's just a couple of pages tucked away there in, in the Old Testament. And I began looking at it uh, this week just in advance, doing a precursory reading and try to get some benchmarks in it. And I realized that, hey, uh, Jonah chapter 1 is a perfect place to preach an ordination message. So we're going to go ahead next Sunday and do ordination message and preach uh, Jonah as well. Today, Genesis chapter 15. Are you, are you there? Here we go. I'm reading from my New American Standard Version. And the Word of God says, beginning in verse number 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you, have given, since, you, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Uh, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, 
he shall be your heir. He took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, you ever notice Abram's just full of questions? Just absolutely full of questions. Uh, and, and, and that's not a bad thing. So check out verse number 8. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other and he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between those pieces. On that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Let's stop right there. I think that's good enough. We'll just dog it off right there like a salami. Here's what, you know, Genesis chapter 15 is, is really highly significant in the entire drama of salvation history. Uh, this particular passage is quoted multiple times by New Testament authors and it's referenced by Paul and by James and folk like that. So it really is something that we should stop and pause and ponder as we come to Genesis chapter number 15. And I want us to do that today and look at it under the title of Faith That Works. And you know, I really didn't have in mind the discussion between Paul and Abram as they both refer to Abraham and this incident being in the background when Paul says that a man is justified by faith alone. And James, in James chapter 2, as Alicia read today, James says a man is not justified by faith alone, but by works. And they both refer to the same man and to the same passage. Well, how do we reconcile that? Well, Paul is answering one question, and James is answering another question. It's kind of like listening to just one end of a phone conversation and trying to figure out what the other person is saying in order to get a response like this. And here's the other end of the phone conversation. When Paul writes to the Romans, they are asking the question, and he is answering the question, how is a man put in a right relationship with God? And Paul says, by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith. 
Now when James writes his epistle, he's writing to a different question entirely. He's answering the question, what type of faith puts a man or a woman in a right relationship with God? And James says it's the type of faith that works. So it's the type of faith that does something on the basis of what it believes. It's the type of faith that finds expression to what it believes. So here today, as we look at this passage under the title of Faith That Works, I think if I were writing this title today rather than Friday, rather than saying Faith That Works, I would probably change it, and you may want to write this in, to Functioning Faith or Functional Faith. Functional Faith. And here's what I want to get at. What function does faith serve in your life? And the way you can answer that question is by asking another question. How would my life be if I didn't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Would my life be emptier? Would my life be any different? Because there are some things that faith avails to us that we can't get any other way. I mean, when you stop and think about what the New Testament says about the benefits of faith... Uh, they're enormous. So, functioning faith. Let me ask you this question. How is your faith working for you? I mean, if faith really is something that, that is crucial in helping human beings navigate the journey of life, then how well are you navigating it? How is your faith working for you? Does it serve any purpose? Or could you jettison your faith and nothing would change in the course of your life. Faith that works. And of course, Abraham being the father of all the faithful looms large as we answer that question. So I want to point out several things from this narrative about Abram in Genesis chapter 15 as it regards functional faith or faith that works. First thing this passage teaches us about faith is that faith sometimes makes us feel vulnerable. And that is faith that works. Sometimes will make you feel vulnerable. I mean, we had a living illustration of it this morning. When Miss Sandra shared that story with me, I didn't tell her right then, but I came up to her a little bit later and she began to give all these reasons why I can't do that. And there were people standing around her like April Durham saying, oh no, you can do that because you do speak well and you do communicate in front of folk. You do not get tongue-tied. But you see, it's a perfect example. When you're about to do something by faith, it just seems to go hand-in-hand with vulnerability. Huh? Do you not feel vulnerable when you're about to do something for the Lord? And you think of everything that could go wrong. And you think, how foolish you could look. But hey, wait a minute, get this. In Abram's case, it wasn't before he did something, but it was after he did something for the Lord. And can I say to you that most actions of faith, you're going to have a sense of vulnerability before you do it, and then you're going to have a sense of vulnerability after you do it. Can I say to you, I've been preaching now for 30-something years, And every time I preach, when I get done, I am as vulnerable as I ever am. 
And it has to do with the fact that I just did something by faith and it caused me to have a sense of vulnerability. So every Sunday on the way home, here's normally how the conversation goes. Well, Heather, Ellie's no me gosto. That's the Portuguese version because she told me I couldn't say it anymore. She said, you can't say that to me anymore. I'm tired of hearing it. So I just quit saying it in English and I start saying it to her in Portuguese. I start telling her how foolish I look and how nobody likes to listen to me preach. And the reason grace is not growing is because I'm running them off with these stupid sermons. Huh? I mean, I just have a sense of vulnerability. And notice, Abram did too. Check this out. Notice in verse number 1. And, and here's why he had a sense of vulnerability. Look with me in, in Genesis chapter 14. What is it that Abram just did by faith? Well, check this out. Start with me in verse number 8. Then the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, came out and they arrayed for battle against them, these other kings in Sidim. Against, here we go, Keterloamar. Say that with me. That's just a fun word to say. It makes your mouth happy. Keterloamar. If I had another son, that's what I'd name him. I'd name him Keterloamar. Huh? What do you think? Keterloamar, the king of Elam, and Tidal, and that's a good word for Panama City, huh? I mean, you could name somebody Tidal. Tidal, king of going. And Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar, four kings against five. Somebody say, good job, preacher, we're getting all them names. Huh? <laughs> Here we go. Check out what they did. There's four kings battling against five kings right in Abram's front yard. Now check this out. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. They fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of the food supply and departed. Now wait a minute. Guess whose hanny was camped out where he shouldn't have been? Abram's nephew, Lot. He was in Sodom. Never should have been. The Bible tells us his righteous soul was vexed living in that sin-sick city. So now he's where he shouldn't be. And look what happens in verse 12. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came out and told Abram the Hebrew, and now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out, his trained men born in the house, 318, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Skip verse 15, look at 16. He went and rescued Lot, and he brought back all the goods, and also brought back his relative Lot with his possession, also the women and the people. Now, verse 15 starts. Abram just did something by faith that would otherwise seem foolish. He went against the mightiest kings and the mightiest armies in his day that just came in there and ransacked. They were like the Russians going into Ukraine. They came in, invaded the place, they killed, they maimed, and they took everything that was of value, even Lot and all of his people and possessions. 
Abram hears of it. He says, I got 318 men working with me. Get this, they were not Navy SEALs by any stretch of the imagination, huh? They weren't Army Rangers. They weren't trained in war. They were shepherds. They were cowboys. They were potato farmers. And Abram said, boys, we got a little military action to take. So I'm going to give y'all some basic instruction. This is a sword. <laughs> this is the sharp edge. This is what you want to hit with. And he said, all right, you've got it down. I mean, it was kind of like Vince Lombardi. Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> this is a sword. Now, we're going up against these mighty armies, and we're going to get light back. So here they go, 318 men. And guess what? He did this by faith. God responds somehow or another. 318 shepherds and potato farmers and cowboys whipped the mightiest army in the area, took Lot back and come back to the Mamre of Oaks. Come back to the Oaks of Mamre. Now guess what? Here Abram's sitting out there the next day and he begins to think, my God, that was stupid. <laughs> you ever done that, huh? You ever done anything by faith and afterwards you thought... That was the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and you began to second guess. And here's what Abram's got to be thinking. Them boys know where I live. <laughs> There's nowhere for me to run. I don't have a whole lot of trained forces. All I got is these guys. <laughs> so what's going to happen? Hence, notice what takes place. Here he is, and he feels vulnerable. And I think this passage points out two basic human needs that every one of us long for. Number one, we long for security. Security. We want to know that what we have is safe, and we want to know that we are safe. And now Abram, in a sense of vulnerability, after doing something outrageous by faith, and being victorious in it, by the way, all of a sudden, he feels like he's a sitting duck. And then all those guys have to do is get the idea and they can come and wipe out everything that he has and all the people that's with him. So notice, in that moment, the Bible says in verse 15, the word of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, came to Abram. Because he was longing for security. And look what, look what he said. I am a shield to you. Now, would you tell me what is a shield for? It's for what? It's for protection. Why would God just show up out of nowhere, the Word of the Lord show up out of nowhere and say, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. i tell you why. It's because Abram was scared. He was defenseless. And he has the same human need that you and I do, which is a need for security. So the word of the Lord shows up and says, Abram, I got you. I'm your shield. Hey, can I ask you, who, who had you rather have defending you? The 182nd Airborne or Yahweh? So what does he have to worry about? Notice the second thing that, the second human need that God talks to him about. Not only do we long for security, but we also long for significance. Significance. So Abram takes this opportunity while he has the ear of the Lord, does he not? He's got a 
hundred questions, just like we all do. Look, the first thing that the Lord said, I'm your shield. Second thing He says, your reward shall be very great. Now, why does God say that? Because Abram is not only worried about security, but he's worried about significance. And you see, significance for Abraham is not that different than what it is for us. How many of you want to have a life that's significant, that means something, that counts for something? Everybody does. God has put, the Bible says, eternity in our hearts. And here's what significance is about. Significance is about being involved in something with the 70 or 80 years that God gives us on this planet, being involved in something that is bigger than our life. Something that outlasts our life. You know, I went by a cemetery the other day, and I looked at that marble orchard, all the headstones out there. And in that moment, I just had one of those God experiences, and, and you know, here was my thought. How many of those folk out there left nothing of any significance here? I mean, the clay hadn't hardened over the top of their grave yet before basically they were forgotten. How long will it take folk to forget us or to get over our influence that's eternal in this life? And Abram was wanting something that outlasted his life, that was bigger than his life. And you know what that was embodied in for him? A son. A son. So here he talks to the Lord about it. Your reward shall be very great. Hey, you can be childless and still have great eternal significance with God. There's no doubt about it. So God first answers that question. But now notice what Abram said. Oh Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? And, my, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So he was looking for significance. Now get this. These two human needs, very basic human needs that Abram has right here in voices. These two human needs can only be met through the Word of God. You see why I'm saying faith that works? If you're an insecure person, let me tell you where you're going to get security. In the Word of the Lord. If you're worried about significance, being involved in something that's bigger than you are, where are you going to find that? I'm telling you where you're going to find it. In the Word of the Lord. Now check this out. Notice as this dialogue carries on, and we said that these needs can only be fulfilled through the Word. And friend, check out verse number 1. After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abraham. Number 1, the Word of the Lord met him. Notice, it doesn't say that Yahweh came to him, but it says the Word of Yahweh came to him. It's almost as if the writer here is personifying the Word. And the Word of the Lord came to him. Now, let's not get caught up in these pre... In these days when Abraham didn't have a Bible, how God spoke to him and thinking that that's the way God speaks today. God came to him and communicated to him. The book of Hebrews tells us that in these days, God has spoken to us, given us His final word in His Son, Jesus Christ, whose revelation is recorded in this book, the Word of the Living God. But the bottom line is, God's Word will meet you where you are. Huh? And here, 
God's Word met Abraham. The Word of the Lord came to him. Notice it happens again in verse number 4. Then behold, the Word of the Lord came to him. Not only did the Word meet him, but get this, get this the Word of the Lord moved him. Moved him. And now see, here's faith that works again. Because a lot of times the Word of God comes to us. The Word of the Lord comes to us sitting right here on these nice, comfortable chairs at Grace Church. But here's the question. When the, Lord, when the Word of the Lord meets you where you are, nobody knew what needs you had in your life. And you came today and somehow know that the Word of the Lord met you. You ever had that experience? But here's the question. Faith that works. When the, Lord, when the Word of the Lord meets you, do you allow the Word to move you? Amen. Now, I'm not talking about moving you emotional, having that type of, of movement. I'm talking about moving you. Notice how it moved Abraham. Notice what the Bible says here. The Word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one who comes forth from your own body shall be your heir. And here it is in verse number 5. He. Do you see that word? He is capitalized. Dramatically, do you know what the antecedent to he is? Because he is a personal pronoun that cannot stand alone dramatically by the rules of language. It refers back to the subject of the sentence, which is its antecedent. Now, what is the antecedent to he in verse number 5? I'll tell you what it is. It's the Word. It's not Yahweh. It's not the Lord. It's the Word. So check this out. Verse number 5. Then the Word took him outside. That's being moved. That's being moved by the Word of the Lord. You see, the Word not only meets us and just gives us some, some, some intellectual stimulation, when God's Word comes to us, it just doesn't come to our head, it comes to our heart, and it moves our feet and puts us into action. That's what God's Word does. So the Word of the Lord moved him from where he was inside to outside. Have you ever had a moving experience where God's Word got you out of your normal routine? Because that's what it does. It moves us. Faith that works moves us from point A to point B. He, that is the Word, took him outside. So here we go. Just get back to our message. The Word met him and the Word moved him. Now what happens when the Word moves you? When the Word moves you, here's what happens. Number one, you begin to think biblically about your situation. Begin to think biblically. And can I say, I think this is the greatest downfall. This is probably the, the Achilles heel to most people's faith is they don't know the Word well enough to know how to think biblically. And that means to replace the lies of the Satan and the lies of Satan, the lies of the world, and the lies of our flesh with the truth of God's Word and have our mind disciplined to think and hold on to biblical truth rather than the lies of the world. Right. Now let me show you how this had to affect Abraham. Check this out. Notice, and, and here's what Abraham was feeding on. Notice what he says in, uh, in uh, verse number, number 3. Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Verse number 3, he says, Since I am childless, the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now check this out. In the original language, this is how it reads. 
since you have given me no ben masek, that's the word for heir, no ben masek, then this one from Damasek is my ben masek, is how it reads literally. Do you hear the, the, how those two words are similar, how they have the same root word? Damascus and Ayr in the original language have the same root word. Now guess what? For Abraham, that was an uncanny omen. And as Dr. Alan P. Ross says, the omen was in the nomen. So everything that the world's feeding him, everything his flesh is feeding him tells him that Eliezer is going to be your heir. So he had all of this going on in his mind against him, but he had the, he had the truth of God's Word, what I'm calling biblical truth, saying, no, this is not the reality. The one that comes from your own body is going to be your Ben Masek. He's going to be your heir. And you see, when God's Word moves us, that's what we began to see. We began to think biblically. Now, how did that come about? It come about because that Word was guaranteed by God's creative power. Because what did He take Him outside to show Him? Check it out. Look in verse number, 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 number 5. So the Word of the Lord moved him, took him outside, gave him biblical truth. Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them, he said to him, that is the Word, so shall your descendants be. Now how did God guarantee this promise to Abraham? By moving him and by taking him outside. Can I say this to you? You're not going to get confirmation to your faith as long as you're sitting on your hanny on a padded ch chair. Confirmation comes when the Word moves you and you get out there. Then you begin to see, wait a minute, what God's Word said is literal, it's true. And here it is coming to pass in my own reality. So He took him outside. And He says, look up into the heavens and count the stars. Now how did that give confirmation? Because guess what? Abram knew that the one with whom he was engaged right now was the same one who created all of this. And friend, listen, we've got a star-breathing God that breathes giant stars out of His mouth by His spoken Word, flings them into space, into infinite amount of universes. If He can do that, don't you think He can take care of whatever you're loaning for in your life for significance and security? So there ain't no doubt He can. Do you know who you're dealing with? Just walk outside and look. And He said, Abraham, count those stars. By the way, you know where those stars came from? He said, if you can count those stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. You're worried about one Ben Masek? Look how numerous your descendants are going to be. My goodness. So check it out. Not only did he begin to think biblically, and God put the Word right before him and said, here it is, son, just grab on to it, and I'll get you from point A to point B. Not only did he begin to think biblically, but I, I say he began to think big. Big. And I started to put this down there, because I mean, if you got one L-Y word, you got to have another L-Y word. I started to put down and start to think bigly. <laughs> bigly. <laughs> 
Here's the problem with most of us. We think too little. We think way too small. You know God's glorified when we think big and when we ask big. I'm reminded of a historical incident that took place with Napoleon Bonaparte. After a great battle that they had just won, the general who won the battle was standing before Napoleon and he said, what is it that you want me to give you? You did such a good job, I'm going to reward you. What is it that you want me to give you? And the general asked that Napoleon would grant him an entire island that belonged to this conquered people. Everybody else that was standing in his presence that day thought, oh my God, he don't know what he just did. He just asked Napoleon for something that Napoleon is not willing to give. And this guy, even though he's a successful general, he's probably going to have his head on the chopping block before the sun goes down. To everybody's astonishment, Napoleon said, granted, it's yours. And they asked Napoleon why he gave it to him. He said, because the size of his request honored me. I tell Heather this sometimes. We're praying, she'll say, Lord, if you're just. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't use that word just. <laughs> like, if you can just eat this one out. <laughs> Don't know if you got it in you, but if you could just eat this one out. <laughs> no, 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 no. The size of our request ought to honor God. We ought to be asking God to give us the world. Huh? Missiologically. We ought to be asking God to fill this room with flags. We ought to be asking God to give us Bonifay, Florida in the name of Jesus Christ. Huh? I mean, that's big stuff. Look who we're dealing with. The one who hung the stars. The one who spoke and they were flung out through all the vast darkness of space. That's who we're dealing with. It would be nothing for Him to sweep through Bonifay. Do something that would cause everybody's jaw to drop open. Well, here we go. Faith sometimes makes you feel vulnerable. All of this happened because Abraham, after doing something by faith, had a sense of vulnerability and the Word of the Lord came to him and met those basic human needs. Number next, i got to hurry. Faith at work sometimes makes us feel vulnerable, but faith at works also fills us with virtue. Fills us with virtue. Now check this out. Here's the theological linchpin in this verse. And it may be of all the New Testament. Who knows? Look in verse number 6. Then he, that is Abram, believed, had faith, trusted in Yahweh. And he, that is Yahweh, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, ton of questions here. What does reckon mean, number one? What is an accounting term? And it means to put on somebody's account. And what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is what God requires. And do you know that you have no righteousness of your own? Zero. If God demands righteousness and we're asked to whip it up on our own, Boys and girls, we are done. Our goose is cooked. Here's what Isaiah says. Chapter number 64. Isaiah says, Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now if I translated literally what that means in the original language, y'all would be offended. I'm just telling you. But the Word of God does not downplay this. 
But yet I hear folks with this harebrained idea that God's going to let them in because they've done good things. Would you hear me? You can give your life to be burned at stake for orphans. And that's filthy rags. You can spend your entire amassed wealth feeding the hungry. And that's filthy rags. You have no resource of righteousness at your disposal. Therefore, God has to give it to you from somebody else's account. And whose account is that? The one who is righteous Himself. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Friend, listen. We were bankrupt. We are bankrupt. But all of a sudden, when you're born again, it's like this. It's like somebody who is in about four gazillion billion dollars worth of debt. And they get married. And they marry somebody who has 19 gazillion billion dollars sitting in one bank account that's just their pocket money. They're spending cash. Not only do they take care of all your debt, but they make you a gazillion billionaire in the process. Huh? Man, that's pretty cool, isn't it? The old saying is, you can marry more money in one day than you can make in a lifetime. <laughs> when I was pastoring on the East Coast of Florida, there was, this, there was this widow. She was about 84 years old. She loved me. My secretary came in my office one day and said, Pastor, now Miss So-and-So has an appointment with you, but I'm not trusting her alone with you. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, she said, listen, she is totally smitten and, and infatuated with you. And she said, I just want you to know I'm going to be right outside your office door if you need anything. I said, I only have one question. She said, what is it? I said, how much money do you think she's got? <laughs> she said, pastor. I said, Heather will understand. <laughs> I know where was I before I <laughs> Y'all tell me. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you say I, I have no righteousness, do I? None. <laughs> My most holy and pure thought is 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 filthiness. Thank God that Jesus Christ, his righteousness was put on my account. So that right my bankruptcy, my sin, my perversion. And now when God looks at me, He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the only way anybody's going to fulfill the righteous demands of God. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. He not only takes your sin, but He gives you all of His righteousness. Man, that's so cool. And look, all the way back here in the Old Testament, we have God laying the foundation for gospel. When He says this, he says, and Abraham believed in Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, and he reckoned, he put it on his bill as righteousness. Wow. Check this out. Not only does faith that works sometimes make us feel vulnerable, but faith fills us with virtue, and finally, faith makes our future victorious. Hey, do you understand if you're a child of God, if you've been born again, by grace through faith, 
then you know your future is pretty bright. Did you know that? Just is. Hey, check this out. I could die of a massive heart attack before I get through preaching this sermon. And if I do, before my body stops quivering on the ground, I'm already sucking in that holy, rarefied air of glory. So if that's the worst thing that can happen to me today, what am I worried about? Huh? Future's bright in Jesus Christ. Now check this out. Let me show you. Man, this is gospel stuff. This is gospel stuff. This is some of my favorite stuff in all the Old Testament about how God, by, by, by faith, makes our future victorious. Let me show you what He did here because here's what Abraham is saying. But Lord, how shall I know that I, my descendant, shall inherit or possess this land? Look in verse number 9. And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, that sounds like a strange response, does it not? How will I know? Well, God says, Bring me one of them heifers. <laughs> Bring me a ram and a goat and a turtle dove. Abraham knew what was about to go on here. This is normal covenant slash contract making in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, it was known as cutting a covenant. And why is it known as cutting a covenant? Well, stay with me in the next verse. Then he brought all of these to him, and he cut these two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the bird. So watch this. Abraham took out his sword that he just went and ran Ketalomar out and, and, and rescued Lot with, and he took that sword and he led this heifer in here and he whacked that heifer in half. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Here gospel seeds are being sown. There's no covenant with God outside the shedding of blood. And here Abraham was cutting them, cutting that heifer in half. He cut the goat in half. And he cut the ram in half. And here's what he did. He took one half, the hind quarters, and he set them right here. Over here he takes the front shoulders and the head, and he sets them over here. And he makes a pathway between them. And here's what they do in the ancient world. The two guys or gals who were about to enter into a covenant or a contract, they would state the terms of the contract, and then they would walk, hold hands, and they would walk together between the halves of these animals that had just been slaughtered. And in doing so, here's what they were saying. They were saying, may the same thing happen to me as happened to these animals if I renege on my part of the contract. And Abraham prepared that covenant stage in order to make a covenant with Almighty God. Now check out number next. We see what we learned through Abram's preparation. He cut those animals in half and he made that hallway for them to pass through. But next we see what happens, or, we, or, or we, we, what we learned through Abram's protection of that covenant stage. Because notice what happened in verse number 11. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. And look what the Bible says. Abram drove them away. There were buzzards, vicious buzzards. And they were coming down and they were about to eat up what Abram had just prepared by faith in order to enter into a covenant with God Almighty. Now, let me show you what this represents. We just got done with the Gospel of Mark, right? Well, let me take you back to it again in verse... Uh, in chapter number 4. If you don't want to turn there, you can just listen. Because here's what Jesus said in the parable of the soils. 
Mark chapter 4, verse number, number 4, Jesus says, As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Now you know, this is one of the few parables where Jesus gives the interpretation of it. So listen to what he says in verse number 15. He says, These are the ones who fell beside the road where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So Jesus identifies here Satan as being personified by the birds and saying that it's his job to come down and steal the word of God away before you have time to do anything with it. Can I say that the devil did not want this covenant to be made? So, here he comes and he tries to gobble up the carcasses. And can I say to you, it happens regularly at Grace Church. God meets people where they are. He comes to them in the Word. And before you have time to act on it, you say, you know, that's pretty good. I think, I think I'll do that. And I promise you, before you get to that parking lot, the devil's already pecking at it. He's already pecking at it, trying to get you to rethink this thing from a non-biblical perspective because this is going to make you look foolish. So don't do that. How much of God's Word... You know, I, I, What is that? <laughs> oh, I don't want him then. Here's... It, it, listen, in Brazil, we've got, we've, got, we've got vultures down there. These vultures are not like our domesticated... Nice vultures with manners here in Florida and Alabama. These vultures are vicious. One of my one of my Kilimbola friends told me one time after we'd walked ten kilometers to a village that they told us was just bay, which means just right there. After we had walked ten kilometers in flip flops, and I was feet were hurting. This is what he said. He said, Pastor Richie, he said, whatever you do, don't limp. I said, What do you mean, don't limp? He said, Them Arubu will come down and finish you off if they see weakness in you. <laughs> But here's my question. How fat are the spiritual buzzers that hang out at your house? Huh? If you do something with the Word, if you hide it in your heart, if it meets you and it moves you, they have nothing to eat. And you can starve them to death. But if you're accustomed to just hearing the Word and not doing the Word, you've got the fattest buzzards in Holmes County hanging out around your place. They know they can make a good meal off you, so all you're going to do is let this waste. Abraham drove those things off. Hey, you got to do the same thing. Don't let the buzzard steal what God intends to bless you with. So check this out, and I'm done. This is the good part. This is what I've been waiting to get to all morning. What we learned through Abram's preparation. What we learned through Abram's protection. And finally, what we learned through Abram's non-participation non-participation. Because check it out. God told him to prepare the stage. He was about to cut a covenant. And Abram thinking, oh good, this is going to be a, your usual bilateral covenant or contract between two parties. But notice what happens. Check this out. Look with me in verse number 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Can I just stop right there and say that Abram had to have been a Baptist? <laughs> Because he fell asleep in the worship service. <laughs> a deep sleep fell on him. You see, I don't think Abram was like us and he just fell asleep. I think God put him to sleep. 
So he put him to sleep. He kind of gave him some, some, some anesthesia and put him to sleep. Now why did he do that? Well, check on out. Read with me. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to him, Abraham, know for certain. Underline that word, folks, as you can't know if you're born again for sure until you get to heaven. That's not biblical. God says here in the Old Testament, know for certain, Abraham. Now check it out. That, that uh, verse number 14, but he says, your descendants are going to go into Egypt. They're going to be there 400 years, but I will judge that nation. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And look at verse 17. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed through the pieces. On that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham. Get this. Abraham, God did not let Abram participate in the covenant. This was not a bilateral covenant. It was a unilateral covenant. God made it with Himself. And as the writer of Hebrews says, since He could swear by none higher, God swore by Himself that Abraham, I'm going to save you. It's not your work, but it's my work. Abraham, I'm going to give you a future. It's not incumbent upon what you do. It's incumbent upon who I am. Listen to me. Abraham didn't do a thing. He was laid over there in a coma. Couldn't get up. Check this out. Look with me again in verse number 12. Great darkness fell upon him. Have you ever noticed that every time God makes a covenant with man, that darkness covers the earth? What did we just look at two weeks ago in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15 that took place for six hours one Friday? Three hours one Friday. From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. The sun shone and it's full of rain. No, sir, because God was on that cross making a covenant with man and darkness fell upon the face of the earth. And God was saying, this is too holy for you to look on. You can't participate in this. You have nothing to do with it. It's my son and my son alone. And when he died, he said, it's finished. Taken care of. So listen to me. Listen to me. Your salvation, ladies and gentlemen, isn't dependent upon you. Do you know why God did not let Abraham walk through that covenant that was prepared with him? Because here's why. Because if they would have walked through it together, the first time Abraham would have broke his part, God would have had to kill him and consign him to hell for eternity. And guess what? He's going to break it. In Genesis chapter 16, he's going to think, you know, God said it's going to be one come from my body. Sarah gives Abraham her handmaid. Abraham has relations with the handmaid and they produce a child of the flesh that's still plaguing this earth today. So if Abraham had walked through those pieces with God, Abraham would be consigned to hell today because of that covenant. Listen to me. You aren't saved because you made a deal with God. You're not. You're not saved because you can continue to do good. You're not. You didn't have anything to do with your salvation. Thank God if you didn't do anything to gain it, you can't do anything to lose it. Huh? You didn't walk through there. You didn't hang on the cross. He did it. And God put him to sleep for a reason.
Ephesians and saying, it cannot be dependent upon you. This isn't a, a, a cooperation. This is a monopoly. And I'm doing it. And I'm pledging myself, Abram, I'm going to save you. And I'm going to save your descendants. Whom Paul says we all are. By faith we're the children of Abraham. Now, folk, listen to me. That gets me excited, sunshine. Huh? That just causes me to want to shout. Because I'm going to mess it up. But thanks be unto God, when I mess it up, He doesn't snatch it away because I didn't walk through the pieces. He did that on His own. I didn't hang on the cross. He did that for me. And if I didn't do anything to gain it, folk, I can't do anything to lose it. Look here. I'm telling you, that's what it ought to cause us to do, huh? It ought to. Now listen, folks say, Brother Richie, you can't preach that kind of stuff because you preach that kind of stuff, your folk will live like hell. No, they won't. <laughs> you preach that kind of stuff and cause my folk to fall in love with God. Yeah. And say, look, by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. When He looks at you and He says, you poor, pathetic, wearer of filthy rags, I'm going to put on your account all the righteousness of my Son. And it's yours for eternity. Hey, faith that works. What does it do for you? Man, it ought to move us. Because His Word is going to meet us. And it will change us. Friend, if you're changed, it's because God has done something supernaturally in your life that you didn't have anything to do with. Don't tell me what you've got to do to be saved. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Because that's your religion. A Baptist that says you must do this to be saved, you'd make a real good Muslim. Huh? You'd make a real good Jehovah's Witness. You'd make a real good Mormon. Let me tell you what I have to do to be saved. Place my faith in the one who hung in darkness on Calvary's cross. Didn't let me do it. You know the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the filthy rags that I brought to the cross. Son, he took those off of me dress me in the bright raiment of Christ's white righteousness and it's going to be there forever and ever. Thanks be unto God. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you show us about faith. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we'll live knowing that our future is victorious. Because what you've done on our behalf. Because what you've done and contributed to our account. God, we can never be bankrupt again because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to our account. And God, would you cause us to be like the Apostle Paul who in light of all of this says, but the grace that was given to me was not bestowed upon me in vain. But in light of that grace, I worked harder than anybody I knew being about things of eternal significance, about things that brings honor and glory to the King who alone saved me. So Lord, I pray for those that are here today that God somehow or another, the Word of the Lord just mysteriously met them right there on that seat where they're sitting. I pray God that the Word of God is now going to move them and maybe today is the day that they place their faith in You and you take the righteousness of Christ and put it on their account. I pray for those that are here today that 
are just longing for security and significance. That God, you've met them today and today you've supplied those needs by your word. God calls us to be faithful before the birds of the air come down and pluck it away. Steal away the blessing that you intend for us to have. So God calls us today to respond to you in faith. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Dr. John Wilson is standing up here on one side. Colin Dollar is up here. If you would like somebody to pray with, they'll be here. to love to pray with you. But if God has spoken to you today, look, don't let, don't, don't, don't let the, the devil steal it. Hide it in your heart today by allowing God's Word to move you in faith in Jesus' name.